Father, we just come to you today, and as we look at you working through these plagues, Lord, we see what a mighty and awesome God you are, a God to be feared, Lord, to be feared above all things. But, Lord, we also see through you operating through these plagues how much of a loving God you are, what a merciful God you are, a long-suffering God. Lord, we just thank you for who you are. Lord, you're, you're so full of mercy and grace, and Lord, we're recipients of that, and we're so grateful for that. And Lord, I just ask today that as we look at this text, Lord, that we, we have a heart of gratitude and just see how blessed we are that, that you're so merciful to us. Lord, if there's anyone here today who doesn't know you as their Savior, I ask that today be the day of their salvation, that you touch their hearts with your truth, Lord, that you get them to open their hearts to you, that you draw them to Jesus Christ, and that today, Lord, that they uh, enter into a relationship with you where we can find peace and protection, Lord, because as we're going to see in this text, you know how to protect your own. You know how to take care of your own, Lord, and we, we're grateful for that, and we, we stand here as witnesses of that today. Lord, we're so blessed again to be your children, and we thank you for the grace we have through Jesus Christ we thank you for his blood that he shed on the cross for us. And, Lord, we just ask that we glorify him today in our study in the book of Exodus. I ask that in Christ's name. Amen. If you looked at the bulletin today, the title of the message is The Puppet Master. And I say that. I don't want to be irreverent. But I say that in reference to God. Uh, uh, if you look at the Urban Dictionary's definition of a puppet master, it's one who pulls all the strings. It's the one who's in control of everything that goes on beneath them. Now, that certainly is a description of God because God does pull all the strings of this world, and God is in charge of everything that goes on beneath him. And that's what we're going to see today. Uh, here's this man, this arrogant man, Pharaoh, who thinks he's really something, and God's going to put him in his place, and he's going to show him who's the kingmaker, who's the puppet master, that it's not Pharaoh himself, it's the Lord himself. And so we're going to see that as, as God works through these plagues uh, that we begin to see in the book of Exodus beginning in chapter number 8. If you remember last time we looked at the first plague, and that was the plague of blood. Remember Moses had put out his rod over the Nile River, and the whole Nile River had turned to blood. The Nile River and all the streams that ran in the Nile River, all the tributaries, all the ponds and all the lakes, uh, they all turned to blood. Even the water that was in the pots and pans and the sinks of the Egyptians, it all turned to blood. And all the fish died and the whole land stank. And, and uh, it, was, it was terrible. And so, uh, uh, but Pharaoh didn't relent. The magicians were able to duplicate that miracle to some degree. We're going to see them do that again today, and that's really kind of, kind of strange to me that they would want to duplicate a plague, you know, and just exasperate the situation. But they're going to try to duplicate these plagues, and they were able to duplicate that plague to some degree. They were able to turn the waters red. Uh, and so Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and uh, he refused to let the people of Israel go. So today as we come to chapter 8, we pick up on the second plague, and that's the plague of frogs. We know all about frogs in Louisiana. I was up the other night watching the weather channel and watching the hurricane go through, and I went to bed and I tried to go to sleep, and there were frogs on my windows croaking all night, and I couldn't sleep. But this is a lot worse than that, so let's, let's look at this plague of frogs beginning in chapter number 8, verse number 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Jehovah, Let my people go that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will smite all your territory with frogs. Frogs are going to come out of the Nile River and they're going to be everywhere. So the river shall bring forth frogs abundantly, which shall go up uh, and come into your house, into your bedroom, into your bed, into the houses of your servants, and on your people, and on your ovens, and into your kneading bowls. They're going to be everywhere. 
and the frog shall come up on you and on your people and upon all your servants. So uh, Pharaoh's warned. Pharaoh doesn't heed the warning. Aaron puts out his rod over the Nile River, and sure enough, all of these frogs come up out of the Nile River, and they're everywhere. I mean, just imagine, you're an Egyptian, and, and uh, all of these frogs are everywhere, and you head off to work, and you get into your chariot, and in your chariot, there are all of these frogs, and then you head to work, and you go to your desk, and there are frogs everywhere. On the paperwork, there are frogs everywhere. Then your wife's trying to cook you dinner at home, and, and uh, there's frogs in the in the bowls that she's using to, to knead the bread, there's frogs in the pots and pans, there's frogs in the oven, so you got frogs in your food. You come home and you're eating these frogs and these frogs are croaking and you say, finally, I'm gonna go to bed and you go to bed, you slide up under the covers and there are these slimy, wart-bearing frogs all in your bed, croaking all night and you don't sleep. And so it was a, a terrible plague. No doubt it was a terrible plague. It wasn't going to kill anybody, but it was terrible. And so Pharaoh relents. And Pharaoh says, okay, I'll let the people go into the wilderness, and I'll let them go out and uh, worship, uh, worship uh, uh, your God, Jehovah. So Moses says, okay, I'm going to give you the honor, Pharaoh, of picking the time and date when... Uh, these frogs go away. And Pharaoh says, okay, about this time tomorrow. And sure enough, uh, Moses entreats the Lord and all the frogs leave. But look what happens to Pharaoh's uh, in verse number, uh, verse number 15. When Pharaoh saw that there was relief, verse number 15, chapter 8, he hardened his heart and did not heed them as the Lord, just as the Lord had said he would. You remember when Moses was leaving Midian and he was heading up to Egypt uh, to, to, to deliver the people of Israel. The Lord told him, look, it's not going to be easy, Moses. Uh, I'm, uh, Pharaoh's going to harden his heart and uh, he's not going to let the people go. And so, so uh, that's exactly what happens here. But I think that's something that happens to us a lot too. We get ourselves in trouble and we try to deal with God. We go to God, and what we do, we say, Lord, if you'll do this for me, I'll do this for you, as if God needs us to do something for him. God doesn't need us to do anything for him. But that's the way we often deal with God. Somehow that we make a vow, and we say we're going to do something, but then when the relief comes, we're willing to break that vow. That's why Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 5, it's better not to vow to the Lord than to vow to the Lord and break that vow. Now, I've vowed some vows in my life to the Lord that I've broken. I remember before I was saved, I had worked a few years as an industrial accountant, and I'd gotten a job as an assistant controller for an RCA plant. And I had a good job, good pay. It was long hours, but it was, it was a really good job. I was blessed. But I remember sitting in that office every day in those four walls from, from the time I got there at 7.30 the time I went home by 6.30 or 7. I mean, all I saw were those four walls. And I hated it. I like being outdoors. I don't like being stuck in an office. And I hated what I was doing. I absolutely hated it. Well, RCA had a plan where they uh, paid for your college, so I went to college at night, and then I uh, got a master's degree, and I wanted to teach in college. And so I applied to the various colleges in, in uh, Alabama, junior colleges in Alabama and Mississippi, and I got a few bites, but, but as school time approached, about two weeks before school started, I really, I, it looked like I wasn't going to get anything. I remember sitting in that office one day, and I, was, I, I said this. I said, Lord, if you will get me a teaching job and get me out of this office, I will quit drinking, I will quit carousing, I will go to church, I will pray, and I will read my Bible if you'll do that for me. I no sooner did that prayer come out of my mouth than the phone rang, and it was the academic dean of Northwest Mississippi Junior College, and he said, 
look, we had somebody back out of their contract. Uh, if you'll come up here for an interview, I can almost guarantee you that you'll get a job. I said, wow, thank you. God, whoever you are up there, man, well, I can't believe you've done that for me. And I went out that night, and I celebrated, and I got as drunk as I could be. And, and I broke every one of those vows. Now, since I've been saved, I'm a little bit better on that issue. Early in my Christian life, I, I tried to will and deal with God. I tried to make vows with God to get him to do something for me that I wanted him to do for me. But sometimes I couldn't keep those vows. I made vows that were impossible to keep. And, and really, when you start making vows, what are you doing? You're kind of falling under law, aren't you? You're kind of trying to buy God off. You're trying to try to buy God's blessings, and you just can't do that. I mean, I've learned over the years the best thing to do is to live by grace. It, just if, if I'm in trouble, I ask God to get me out of that trouble, and you know what? He's, he's never failed. I didn't have to do anything in the, in the times I've been in trouble. If I just ask God to get me out of trouble, he's got me out of trouble. Maybe not in the way I would prefer he's gotten me out of trouble, but he's gotten me out of trouble. When there's something I want, I don't have to buy it from God. I don't have to make a vow to God to get it. God, by his grace, is my loving father, and he's going to give me what I want if it's good for me. And if I don't get it, I come to, I've come to the conclusion that if I don't get it, then it probably wasn't good for me. And so, so that's the way I deal with God. Now, I just trust him as a, uh, most of the time. That's the way I deal with God. Every once in a while I falter and I try to make a deal but, because that's, that's kind of who I am. But uh, uh, most of the time, it's, the best way to deal with God is through his grace. Just trust the Lord and watch what he does. Now we come to the third plague in verse number 16, and it's the plague of lice. Now the word lice there is the Hebrew word kenan, and it means something, a, a group of things, really, because it's plural, that attach themselves to your body. Now, so that's why they interpret it or they translate it lice. But I don't think that's the best translation because these seem to be something that are, that, you know, they come up out of the dust and they seem to be able to fly. So more than likely, and the, I think maybe the better translation here is either gnat or mosquito. You ever seen gnats or mosquitoes? Well, you've never been outside if you've never. Actually, you don't have to go outside to find mosquitoes. They will get inside and find you. And gnats in Louisiana, I got to tell you, this fast spring, we had out in Broussard where we live, we're a little bit out in the country. Most of you have been out there, but, but uh, they had some gnats. You couldn't see those gnats, but those gnats could put a hurt on you. I would love to look at one under a microscope. It has to be nothing but teeth and poison. Because that's what they would bite you, and you get this big old whelp on you. And so, so uh, uh, these, uh, so, so I think maybe here he's talking about a plague of gnats, or maybe a plague of mosquitoes. Something again that's not going to kill you, but but something that that uh, would certainly be a nuisance. So, so let's pick up at verse number sixteen, and we'll just say gnats here, and let's pick, look at this plague of gnats. In verse number sixteen, it says, "So the Lord said to Moses." Say to Aaron, stretch out your rod and strike the dust of the land so it may become gnats throughout all the land of Egypt. So Aaron strikes the ground and he hits the dust and the dust turns into gnats. Now that, there's no naturalistic explanation for that. That has to be a creation, an, an act of creation by the Lord. And so... So uh, you, you can't explain that naturally. And I don't believe any of these plagues happened naturally. I believe they were all supernatural. But, but that one certainly you can't play, uh, uh, explain naturally. But anyway, come to verse number 17. And they did so. For Aaron stretched out his hand with his rod and struck the dust of the earth, and it became gnats on man and beast. All the dust of the land became all the dust. Became, now, you think of all the dust that's on the ground, and all of it becomes gnats throughout all the land of Egypt. So, so this is an act of creation by God. It's an act that can't be duplicated, obviously. Uh, look at verse number 18. Now, the magician so, so worked 
with their enchantments to bring forth gnats, but they could not. So there were gnats on man and beast. And then watch the magicians now. They realize that this is an act of the true and living God. This is not a, something you could do with magic. Then the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. This is the finger of the true and living God. Apparently, Moses' God is the true and living God. He's the God Almighty. But, and you would think at this point, Pharaoh said, you're right, but Pharaoh's heart uh, grew hard. Now, here's Pharaoh. He's hardening his heart, and when you begin to harden your heart, your heart's going to grow hard. And that's what's happening to Pharaoh here. And he did not heed them just as the Lord had said. Again, the Lord had said he wasn't going to, told, told uh, Moses a, a earlier, long time earlier, that, that uh, Pharaoh was not going to heed him, and, and so it's happening just as the Lord said it would. Then we come to the fourth fly, I mean the fourth plague, and the plague of flies. And yeah, I don't know it can get any worse than that. Uh, look at what happens. And the Lord said to Moses, rise early in the morning, and stand before Pharaoh as he comes out, of the, uh, out to the water to worship the Nile. Then say to him, thus says Jehovah, Pharaoh, you're worshiping the wrong God. Thus says Jehovah, that's the God you need to be worshiping. Let my people go that they may serve me. Or else, if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants and on your people and into your houses. So flies are going to be everywhere. There's going to be so many flies that when you, when you walk on the ground, you're going to be stepping and squashing flies. The houses of the Egyptians shall be full of swarms of flies and also the ground on which they stand. Uh, you can just imagine how bad that had to be. You had flies in your, on your face, flies in your nostrils, flies in your eyes, flies on your clothing. Flies were everywhere. Fly, and, and so, uh, and in that day, it, verse, now watch what happens in verse number 22. Things are going to begin to change it at this point. Before we get to the uh, fourth plague, the, not only did the Egyptians suffer the repercussions of the plague, also, the Hebrews suffer uh, from the plague. But now God's going to set the Hebrews apart. Look at verse number 22. And in that day I will set apart the land of Goshen, uh, where the Jews live, in which my people dwell, and no swarms of flies shall be there, in order that you may know that I am the Lord Jehovah in the midst of the land. I will make a difference between my people and your people, and then he says, he times this. He says, tomorrow this sign shall be. So uh, uh, here's the Lord, and he's pulling all the strings. And he's, in this process, he's giving glory to himself. He's giving glory to himself and showing the fact that he is sovereign over nature. He's sovereign over creation. He's sovereign over space, he's sovereign over time, and he's sovereign over his people. Who's his people and who's not his people? He's sovereign over all of that. He's sovereign over nature. Uh, he, he's the one who created these flies. He's the one. Every one of those flies went exactly where the Lord told that fly to go, every single one of them. Uh, he's sovereign over space. They could only go to a certain amount of space. They couldn't go into the land of Goshen. He cut it off right there. He's sovereign over the timing of this. He said the flies are going to come tomorrow, and the flies came the next day. Uh, and when he says the flies are going to leave, the flies are going to leave. Uh, he's sovereign over uh, his people. His people aren't affected by this plague. Only the Egyptian people are affected by this plague. And at this point, Pharaoh's seen enough. I mean, enough is enough. Even though his heart is beginning to become hard, he's seen enough. So, uh, look at verse number 25. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Go and sacrifice to your God in the land. Now, do you see any problem with that? Any problem? I mean, it sounds pretty good. Pharaoh says, Go and sacrifice to, 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 to your God in the land. In this land is what he's saying. Is there any problem with that? That's what, not what the Lord told him he wanted him to do, is it? He wanted him to go in the wilderness for three days and sacrifice 
to the Lord, not in the land of Egypt. And so Pharaoh's offering a compromise. Now, I've got to tell you, we'll talk about this a little bit more next week. But that's the way the devil always deals uh, with God's people. He offers you a compromise. And here he's offering a compromise. Hey, you can, you can, uh, you can, go, into the, you can go into the land, but you can't go out into the, to the wilderness. And so uh, Moses says, no, we're not going to do that. And here's the reason we're not going to do that. The way we do sacrifice will be an abomination to the Egyptians, and the way you do sacrifices is an abomination to us. You make sacrifices to pagan gods. We're making sacrifices to the Lord God Almighty, and we want to go out in the wilderness far away from your pagan gods in order to do that. And so, so uh, uh, Pharaoh says, okay, I'll let you go, but please don't go too far out into the wilderness. Uh, again, he offers another compromise. You can go, but it'll go too far. Just like you can go, you can be a Christian, but don't go too far with that Christianity. You can go out there, but don't, don't go too far. And, and then he says something kind of strange. He says, and by the way, Moses, please pray for me. Please pray for me. Pray for all of us. And Moses, Moses says, okay, I'm going to pray for you, and I'm going to pray that the flies will depart tomorrow. Uh, but, hey, don't, don't be lying to me again. But he is lying to him. So the next day, Moses prays. The flies are gone. And when Pharaoh saw that he has relief, uh, look what happens. He hardened his heart against Moses, and, he hard, and when he hardened his heart against Moses, he was hardening his heart against the Lord, and uh, he wouldn't let the people go. And so then that brings us to the fifth plague, the plague of livestock. So we come to chapter number 9. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go, go into Pharaoh and tell him, Thus says the Lord God <coughs> of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, behold, the hand of God will be on your cattle in the field, on the horses and on the donkeys and on the camels and on the oxen and on the sheep. A very severe pestilence, something like anthrax here. And the Lord will make, and again, he's going to make a difference between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt so that nothing will die of all the livestock that, livestock that belongs to the children of Israel. Uh, and then the Lord appointed a set time saying, watch this, he says, tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. Now why is the Lord setting the Israelites apart? Because they're better people than the Egyptians? No, because God is sovereign over who's elect, and who's not elect. And so he has elected the Israelites as his people. Now he would desires that the Egyptians become his people too, and that's why he's so merciful in this whole process. But hey, they're already elected, and God is going to give them special grace, and this plague is not going to affect their cattle. Uh, then in verse number 6, So the Lord did this thing the next day, and all types, now let, me, let me reword that part of the, First part of verse number six. So the Lord did this thing on the next day in all types of the livestock. I mean, some of the sheep, some of the oxen, uh, some of the cattle uh, of the Egyptians died. But of the livestock of the children of Israel, not one cow died, not one sheep died, nothing died. And then Pharaoh uh, sent uh, and sent, and indeed, not even one of the, uh, here's what ha happened. Pharaoh sends a delegation out. Moses has told him that not one animal that belongs to the Israelites is going to die. And all types of your cattle are going to die. And so Pharaoh's saying to himself, that's impossible for you to make that distinction. And so when his cattle begin to die and his sheep begin to die. He sends a delegation out to the Israelites to see if their sheep or their cattle or their oxen had died and not one of them had died. So then Pharaoh sent, and indeed not even one of the livestock of the Israelites was dead, but the heart of Pharaoh. Now watch this. It became hard. If you keep hardening your heart towards God. If God 
woos you, if God tries to draw you, and you keep hardening your heart towards God, let me tell you the next step in the process. Your heart is going to grow hard. It's going to grow hard. You keep rejecting God, and your heart is going to grow hard. So that's the stage of the process we're in right now. His heart is becoming hard, and he did not let the people go. All right, then that brings us to the next plague. And when we come to the sixth plague, things are going to change. God's about to turn up the heat. God's about to actually harm people now. Up until now, these plagues have been nothing more than a nuisance. Uh, kind of like living in the, the south, the Gulf, along the Gulf Coast. There's a lot of things that are a nuisance. But now he's going to actually start taking lives. And he's going to start really hurting people. And, and not in meanness, but in love to try to get these people to repent. I mean, he's already elected Israel. He could have taken Israel right out of there. Who's he working on right now? He's working on Pharaoh, and he's working on the Egyptians. I mean, here we are as believers. We're left in this lost and dying world. But we're left here for a purpose because God is still working on this lost and dying world to try to get as many as possible saved. And so all of these nuisances that you have to deal with, you have to deal with those because you're in a fallen world that's given over to the devil, and God's trying to change that world. But at some point, at some point, God's going to get serious. I mean, he's serious in these other plagues, but he's going to get to the point where you're going to fear the Lord because it's going to cause you pain. And that's what's about to happen now. Uh, uh, the plagues are about to get really, really tough. So, so let's get to the sixth plague and the boils. So the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, take for yourself a handful of ashes. Now watch this, from the furnace. Now let me stop right there for a minute. That word, word is better translated, much better translated, kiln, K-I-L-N. A brick kiln is what this was. It was one of the brick kilns where the Israelites suffered, where they were beaten and they were whipped and they were in that heat all day and they were almost worked to death and they were caused all sorts of pain. So you see what the Lord's doing? What you sow is what you reap. So from that very kiln where they suffered so much pain, God is going to send out pain to the Egyptians and that's exactly what he's doing right here. So the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron, take for yourselves handfuls of ashes from the kiln and let Moses scatter it toward the heavens in the sight of Pharaoh. Here again, this is another miracle. There's no naturalistic explanation for this. And it will become fine dust in all the land of Egypt. So he just takes a handful of ashes and he throws it out and it's going to become fine dust and that fine dust is going to carry uh, some type of disease in it that's going to cause the people of Egypt to have boils all over their body. Now, if you've ever had a boil over on your body, you know how painful that is. And, and so God's about to inflict some pain upon the Egyptians. Uh, and then they took ashes from the furnace and stood before Pharaoh, and Moses scattered them toward heaven, and they caused boils that uh, break out on, in sores on man and beast. And everybody... All of them were writhing in pain, everyone but the Hebrews. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils. They were in such pain. They couldn't even go into their uh, temples, their pagan temples, to worship because they were blemished and they were in pain. Uh, and, 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 hey, this is starting to impact the people, and the people are starting maybe not to just be mad at Jehovah and Moses. They're starting to be mad at Pharaoh because of all the pain that they're suffering and the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils and the boils were on the magicians and all the Egyptians and not the Israelites but watch this now here's one of the scariest lines in the Bible to me and if you're not a believer here today take this verse as a warning you can harden your heart against God you can reject God. You can reject God. 
You can reject God, and your heart is going, in, in, going to, in that process, become hardened. And then once it's hardened, God will add to its hardness. You're done. You're done at that point. You've crossed the line. And at this point, Pharaoh had crossed the line. There was no saving Pharaoh at this point. But the Lord, look at verse number 12. But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he, and he did. His heart was so hard. Here he is writhing in pain. I mean, you go to the Great Tribulation, and, and, and you see all of these people suffering. And what God's trying to do through all that, all that tribulation is to get people saved. But what do the people cry out when everything's falling around uh, everything's falling around them. What do they cry out? Let the rocks fall on us. We would rather the rocks fall on us and die than worship you as God. And that's exactly the point where Pharaoh's, the point that Pharaoh's reached right here. Uh, his heart is hard toward God. And even though he's suffering with all of these boils and all of his people in his land are suffering with this, these boils, as he's hardened his heart toward God and uh, uh, he says, hey, I'm not going to let the people go. And then came the seventh plague, another plague. And this is now is not just a plague of pain. This is a plague of death. It's a plague of hell, H-I-L, H-A-I-L, there we go. Hell mixed with fire. And then uh, beginning in verse number 13, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. For at this time I will send my plagues to you, to your very heart. In other words, we say it, it's getting serious now. This is going to cause you pain. You're going you're to suffer because you're going to lose friends in this. You're going to lose relatives in this. And so it's going to cut to your very heart. And he's leading up to the plague that's going to kill his firstborn son here a little bit later when he says this. He says, but at that time I will send all my plagues to your very heart on, on your servants and on your people that you may know that there is none like me in all of the land. Then jump down to verse number 18. He says, Moses says, behold, tomorrow about this time I will cause a, a very heavy hell uh, to rain down such as not been in Egypt since the founding until now. Therefore, send now and gather your livestock in all that you have in the field. For the hell shall come down on every man and on every animal. Now these, hell, these, these were the size of boulders, this, this hell that was coming down from heavens. So it would kill you if it hit you. Uh, so, so the Lord in his mercy says, hey, bring everybody inside. If you don't come inside, you're going to die. For the land shall come down, the hell shall come down on every man and every animal which is found in the field and is and is and is not and those that are not brought home they shall die and he who feared the word of the lord among the servants of the pharaohs made the servants and his livestock flee to the houses but he who did not regard the word of the lord left his servants and the livestock in the field and so uh things are really getting bad here and and just as right as the Lord, as, as Moses said in verse number 23, and Moses stretched out his rod toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hell, and fire darted to the ground. Now think about this. Hell, which is ice, mixed with fire. That just doesn't seem to work. It, it can only be supernatural. But think of how scary that had to be. And the Lord rained hell on the land of Egypt, on the cattle, and on the people, and on all their crops. He destroyed all their barley crops, and, and uh, all their flax. We're told in another verse, and then in verse number 26, on the, but, on the land, but only in the land of Goshen, where the children of Israel were, was there no hail. And this plague is so bad. So many people die from it. So much cattle is destroyed. So much of the crops are destroyed that even Pharaoh has to relent at this point. And that's where we finish up in verse number 27 and 28. And Pharaoh sent and called for Moses and Aaron and said to them, I have sinned this time. The Lord is righteous and my people and I are wicked. 
In other words, the Lord, he is God. Just like the Israelites cried out on Mount Carmel when, when they saw fire come down from heaven and destroy the sacrifice, Pharaoh says basically the same thing. The Lord, he is God. And I'm a sinner and uh, my people are wicked. Therefore, please pray to the Lord that there may be no more mighty thundering and hell, for it is enough. I've had enough, we've had enough, and I will let you go, and you can go wherever you want, whenever you want, you can stay as long as you want, and you shall stay here no longer. But what happened? Moses prays, uh, the, the plague stops, Pharaoh gets relief, and uh, Pharaoh won't let the people go. Look at verse number 25. So the heart of Pharaoh was hard, neither would he let the children of Israel go as the Lord had spoken by Moses. So his heart was firm now. He had a hard heart, and he was on his way to hell. And there was nothing that could be done about it at that point. That's the process. You harden your heart against the Lord over and over again, your heart becomes harder and harder as you reject the Lord until you reach a point where it's hardened and then the Lord hardens it. So it's set forever. Now, there are some people that I know that in my mind, they've reached that point. But if you had known me back when I was 40 years old, 30 years ago, you would have thought I had reached that point. So we don't know who's reached that point. So we keep praying for people. But don't be surprised that when you pray for people that there are some people that just aren't going to get saved. They have hardened their heart to God in such a way that God has hardened their heart and they're not going to get saved. Saved. Look at verse number. Look at look at the first part of chapter ten. We're not going to go any further there, but listen to what what he says there. He says, "Now the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh. We, we we get to the plague of locusts here. He says, For I have hardened his heart. I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his servants, and that I may show these signs of mine before him. It's not about Pharaoh anymore. Pharaoh's heart is hardened." But I'm going to be glorified in what I do to Pharaoh and the Egyptians. I'm going to show who I am, that I am almighty God, that I am sovereign over nature, that I'm sovereign over time, that I'm sovereign over creation, that I'm sovereign over who's elect and who's not elect. That's, I'm sovereign over all of that. Now, when you watch the Lord working through all of these plagues, you can't help if you believe this. And if you don't believe this, I challenge you to believe it, and then God will show you in your own life that he's sovereign over everything if you give him that chance to be sovereign over everything. But let me tell you what. There's coming a point, even in America, even for Americans, let me put it that way, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jehovah is God, that Jesus is God. Jesus is Jehovah. That day is coming. That day's coming and, and probably a lot sooner than some of us might think. But you can't, if, if you look at what God's doing in these plagues, and I believe every word of this, if you look at what he's doing in these plagues, you can't help but see that he's the one who's pulling all the strings. That he's in control of everything that goes on beneath him. And in a world like we live in today, that's a good thing to know, that God's in control. Now when it looks like things are out of control, they're still in control in God's mind. God has power over this entire universe. He hasn't lost control. We've lost control as a nation. We've lost control, a lot of us, in our personal lives. But God is still in control. And he's going to be glorified through everything that's happening, that everything that happened through these plagues, 
and everything that's happened in every plague since. And we're certainly a nation that's being plagued right now, and so everything that's happening to us, we got to look at this and say God is the great grand puppet master. God is the one in control, not Pharaoh, not Moses, not Aaron, not Je- only Jehovah God, not the Republicans, not the Democrats. Jehovah God is the one who's in control. He's the one who's pulling all the strings. And I'll tell you right now, if, if we have Joe Biden as president uh, in January, that God's put him there. God's the one who's put him there. And I'm not being political here. If Trump's there, God put him there. God's the one who's in control of what's going on in this nation. He's in control, believe it or not, of what's going on in your life. Now, he gives you free will. And you can screw your life up all you want to if that's what you want to do. He'll let you do that. But your heart's going to become hard. Your heart's going to become harder. It's going to become harder. It's going to become harder. And then God's going to harden your heart. And God's going to use you as a wicked person to glorify himself. To magnify his mercy on the vessels of mercy. That's what he's going to do. And that's exactly what he's doing right here. He's, he's, he's put, pouring out his wrath on Egypt to glorify his mercy on Israel. Israel didn't deserve it any more than Egypt did. You don't deserve to be one of the elect any more than anybody out there on those streets deserves to be one of the elect. God, but God in his mercy has chosen you. And all of those people out there simply glorify God. They glorify his mercy on the elect. The Lord tells Pharaoh in the middle of verse 15, he said, I could have killed you, I'm paraphrasing here, I could have killed you instantaneously and all your people if I had wanted to. But if, if that's what I desire to do, but I had mercy on you, and, and I did kill you. And here's the reason I didn't kill you. Look back at verse number 16. But indeed, for this purpose, listen to what he says here. I could have wiped you out, Pharaoh, at any time. But for this, but for, indeed, for this purpose, I have raised you up that I may show my power in you. I'm in chapter 9. But indeed, for this purpose, I have raised you up that I may show my power in you and that my name may be declared in all the earth. I had a purpose in these plagues. I could have wiped you out instantaneously and let my people go, but I didn't do that because I'm going to be glorified through your stubbornness. And I'm going to be glorified in my elect, in, the, in my vessels of mercy. Now, so not only is God sovereign over nature, over creation, over time, over space, over his people. He's sovereign over who he chooses to be his people. Listen, if you chose Christ, you only chose Christ because God chose you. I can tell you that right now. That's the only reason you chose him. Paul uses this passage in his argument about Israel being the chosen people of God over in Romans chapter 9. And I want to flip there for a minute. As he speaks of the election of Israel, he talks about our election in that process. And I want you to look at that. Go with me over to the New Testament. And go to Romans chapter 9. And I'm going to drop back a ways here. But look, go back to verse number 13. And, and the Lord says something here that shocks a lot of people. You, you wouldn't hear this. If, if, if you spoke this verse in certain churches today, they would tell you, That's not the God of the New Testament. Well, it's in the New Testament. Romans is in the New Testament. And this is the God of the 
The Old Testament is the same God as the God of the New Testament. Jesus is the God of the Old Testament. He's the God of the New Testament. And I want you to look at what he says. He says in verse number 30, as it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. By my choice. It's not your choice. It wasn't Esau's choice. It wasn't Jacob's choice. Jacob, if you, when we studied the story of Jacob and Esau, I mean, if you're going to love one of them, I would have loved Esau. But God chose the worst of the bunch to love. Just like he chose me, the worst of the bunch to love. It says, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I hate. In other words, Jacob I've elected to be a vessel of mercy. Esau I have elected to be a vessel of wrath. That's my choice, the Lord says. I'm God. If I want to choose Israel to be my nation, I can choose Israel to be my nation, and I've chosen them to be my nation. And all of Israel will be saved. It's the conclusion of all of this. But let's go back and look at this on an individual basis now. Look, look with me at beginning in verse number 14. What shall we say then? Is God unfair? Is there unrighteousness with God? Meganetto. May it never be. God is never unrighteous. You know, anybody that thinks God's unrighteous because they don't choose them, or anybody that thinks they deserve to be chosen, they don't understand the depravity of mankind. All you have to do is get the Holy Spirit in your heart, and you'll understand just how depraved you are. When you sense the holiness of God, and you, and you even as a believer, I, I mean, I, in fact, the more I know the Lord, the darker I seem to be inside. I mean, it, it, I, I see myself more and more for who I am. I'm a nothing. I'm a worm. And God chose me. He elected me by his grace. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Make a net, though may it never be. For he says to Moses, see, here's our, here's, here's, this comes in Exodus uh, chapter 33, not Yet, But he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. So then it is not of him who willeth or of him that runneth. I'm going to King James now there. But of God who showeth mercy. I love that passage. It's not of him who willeth. It's not of him who works. It's not of him who thinks he's good. But of God who showeth mercy. That's how we're saved. For the scripture says in Exodus 9, 16, the verse we just looked at, for this very purpose, he says about Pharaoh, this, for this very purpose I have raised you up to be a vessel of wrath that I may show my power in you and that my name may be declared in all the earth. That was the purpose of those plagues. That was the purpose of the plagues. Therefore, he has mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he wills, he hardens. If he wants to harden your heart, he can harden your heart. He is God. Now, think about the story. Does that mean that Pharaoh didn't have a choice? No, not at all. Pharaoh had a choice. Pharaoh at any point, could have relented and repented, and you know what he would have found out? He was a vessel of mercy. Look at Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was just as hard as Pharaoh was, and Nebuchadnezzar was hardening his heart. And then all of a sudden, he saw a miracle. He saw those three lads in the, in the fire, in the fiery furnace, burning, should have been burning to death, and they, they weren't even singed by the fire, and there was one walking in the midst of the fire like the Son of God. And, and Nebuchadnezzar, unlike Pharaoh, said, whoa, wait a minute, I got this all wrong. I'm not God. That guy down there walking with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that's God. So he turned, and as soon as he turned, his hardened heart became soft. Now, he was a tough old guy the rest of his life, and he had some, a lot of lessons to learn, but his heart became soft. Pharaoh didn't do that. Pharaoh made the choice. Now, God, in his election, knew how this was going to pan out. I mean, God, excuse me, in his foreknowledge, knew how this was going to pan out. He knew that Pharaoh was going to make that 
let his heart get harder and harder and harder against him. And so he, he eventually hardened his heart. But look, listen, Pharaoh had been hardening his heart his whole life. Just like you and I, before we found Christ or Christ found us, we were hardening our heart against God. Thank goodness we didn't cross that line. Thank goodness we didn't cross that line where our heart became hard and there was no hope. And then God hardened our heart and set us, marked us down outside the book of life and marked us for hell. That's scary. We've all hardened our hearts towards God. And only by the grace of God can our hearts be softened. Jesus put it like this. No man can come to me unless the Father draws him, unless the Father softens his heart. But you got to still, you still have choice. You still got to make that choice. See, God is sovereign over who becomes a vessel of wrath and who becomes a vessel of mercy because of his foreknowledge. I mean, his wish is, what does the Bible tell us? His wish is that none should perish, but that all should come to eternal life. Second, I'm quoting from 2 Peter 3, 9. That's why you see this paradox between choice and election. We have a choice, but God in his foreknowledge knows who's going to make that choice, and so he elects those who he knows are going to make that choice. Those who he knows is not going to make that that choice, he still uses them. He hardens their heart, but he uses them for his glory. And that's what he did in the case of Pharaoh. Was he glad Pharaoh did what he did? No. Would he have been rejoicing if Pharaoh had gotten saved? Yes. Uh, jump down to, you see this paradox, jump down to verse number 22. What if God wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known, what made Pharaoh's heart hard. Now, that's where he's heading there. But listen to what it says. Endured with much long-suffering this vessel of wrath, or these vessels of wrath, the Egyptians. He, he, he suffered. God suffered over their lost state. He didn't want them to perish and go to hell. He wanted them to have eternal life, but he knew they weren't going to change. And so they were chosen. They were elected to become vessels of wrath. And here's the reason. Well, he does all of this. Look at verse number 23. And that he might make known. Guys, this is us. The riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had prepared before the foundation of the world for glory. But we're told in Ephesians chapter 1 that you were chosen in him before the foundation of the world for glory. To be glorified, to be perfected forever in Jesus Christ through his blood. Because God knew before the foundation of the world that you would choose Jesus Christ if he drew you. He knows no matter how, he draw, how hard he draws you that you're never going to receive Christ, he'll give you up. And he'll harden your heart and he'll use you as a vessel of wrath for his glory. Now I've got to tell you, that's really bad news if you don't know Christ and you're messing around in your relationship with Christ. I, I warn you today, if you don't really know Christ, if you're not truly born again, you'll get serious. If you can't get serious looking around this world and floating all around us, if you can't get serious now, you're never going to get serious. And you're going to harden your heart, and you're going to be here when all hell breaks loose on this earth. And it's starting right now. Now, we're not in the Great Tribulation right now. I'm not saying that. But things are really getting bad in this world as we speak. Now, that's good news. That the fact that God is the puppet master, the grand puppet master, that he controls everything that goes on beneath him, that is really good news for me, especially in these times in which we now live. I mean, just, just look around. Pestilence, you think we've got pestilence? We've got pestilence everywhere. We've got plagues we got plagues. we got the COVID plague right among us right, right now. we got biting gnats. 
I mean, go come down to my house. I'll let you let them feast on you some. We got mosquitoes. You can go to your house and you can find mosquitoes. We get, certainly got frogs. We got all of these things. And 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 uh, we got hell even in Louisiana. Not H E L L, but H I A I L. We've we've got that here too, and we got a little H E L L here too. I mean, all it should all sound familiar. You look at these places, say, "Whoa, wow, that could, that's that, we just add a few more frogs, a few more mosquitoes, a few more gnats." We're right here in Louisiana. But you add to that COVID, and riots, and rioting, and hurricanes, and I believe that all of these things are the judgments of the Lord on this world. In love, he's judging this world. But the good news is, the Lord is sovereign over every bit of this, and I don't have to fret over these things. I have people calling me, how they, telling me how worried they were about this hurricane, how afraid they were about this hurricane. I, I, I enjoyed watching it on TV, but I wasn't afraid. I had no fear. I got these big water oaks sitting by my house, and I slept right in my bed, and I you know, went to bed right there. One of those water oaks come down into my house. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, I'm with the Lord. That's the worst thing that's going to happen to me. I mean, the Lord, I, you know, I believe the Lord controls those winds. The Lord controls the roots of my water oaks. If the Lord wants to take me out with a water oak, he can take me out with a water oak. He, he's sovereign over those things. And, and, and if something happens to me through all of these plagues that are coming upon this earth, then it's going to happen to me, I know, for my good, because all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. So it's for my good if somehow these plagues make their, plagues make their way into my life. But you know what? For the most part, they don't make their way into my life. Read Psalm 91. I look, and I look to the right of me, and I look to the left of me, and I see all of these things going on. But they don't make their way in my life. Now, I've got a weak heart. I mean, I could die right here in front of you all right this minute. I mean, but that's not a plague. That's not God's judgment on me. Christ took the judgment that I was to take. So God's not judging me in any form or fashion. And God, as we're told in 2 Peter chapter 9, God knows how to deliver the godly, the vessels of mercy, out of trials and, and tribulations and to reserve the unjust, the vessels of wrath under punishment for the day of judgment. He knows how to separate us in this world and take care of us. You have nothing to fear. The only thing that's going to touch you if you're a born-again believer, well, wait a minute, I know so-and-so and it happened to him. Well, that's between him and God. If you're a born-again believer and you know that, None of these things are going to touch you unless it's for your good. That's the only way they can touch you. Or God's a liar, and he's not a liar. So I don't know about you, but I'm awfully glad that it's the Lord who's pulling all the strings of this world. That it's the Lord who's in charge of everything that goes on beneath him. I believe that with all my heart. Just as much as I believe in Jesus Christ, I believe God is sovereign over the affairs of mankind. And he knows how to protect his elect. So don't fret. Get out there and let God use you in a powerful way to reach these people who are hurting in this lost and dying world. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your goodness. We thank you for the fact that you are the great and grand puppet master of this world. Lord, and I don't say that irreverently. I say it in a good way, Lord. You're in control. You give us our free will, Lord. You, you will let, let us do anything we want to do that, that, that we want to do, that we can do. But, Lord, we don't want to live like that. We want to live, Lord, taking your guidance and your direction and following you and trusting you, Lord, to lead us where you want to lead us and have us do what you want us to do. Lord, we want to present ourselves as living sacrifices to you each and every day that we live in this terrible world that we live in now. Lord, and we know that in the end, Lord, you're going to return and 
You're going to take all the vessels of mercy, Lord, and you're going to deliver us into your kingdom forever and ever and ever. All that because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Lord, we look to the cross. We look to his blood. We look to his mercy for our salvation. And we know, Lord, that, that the end is coming soon. And we thank you that we're sheltered in your wings. We thank you in Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen. Y'all want to stand? We'll close in a song.